Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. What is culture? Why does it matter? And how does it work? That's what we're talking about today. It's part one of a five-part series where we're going to break down culture and its causes. My name's Dominic Gawley, and I'm joined by David Byram, a.k.a. DB. G'day, Dom. It's great to be here. It's a great afternoon in Sydney. A little bit windy, but we're okay. Fantastic to have you here. First time on the podcast. It is the first time. Some would say it's been a long time coming, Dom. (laughs) Absolutely, it has been. So, DB, if we jump into it then, what is culture and why does it matter? Uh, That's a great question, Dom. One of the challenges for a lot of people is what is this myth of culture? I think I'd like to start with the outcomes of culture rather than the the technical definition is cultures around the, the shared norms, values, and behaviors, or the expectations that govern how we work, govern what we do. But if I think about culture, a lot of people get confused with what culture is. And you hear the terms risk culture, uh-huh. innovation culture, diversity culture, safety culture, operational excellence culture. And what I say is that All of those words to describe culture, risk, innovation, safety, operational excellence, diversity, are actually outcomes of culture. And you only have one culture, and that culture actually allows you to be diligent in terms of your risk and be on top of your risk. It allows you to have an organization that's diverse in all aspects of diversity. It allows you to have an organization that's safe, innovative, and excellence in terms of operational sales or what it may be. So when I talk about culture, the key for me is talking to clients around the outcomes of culture. And if I was to distill that further, I refer to the three Vs of culture. Okay, and what are those? The culture of what we're driving in terms of the three Vs are firstly, employee value. So it's that employee value proposition of culture. And I'll come back to that in a minute. The second V is customer value. And the third V is shareholder value. Now, those three segmented stakeholder groups all have a overlap in terms of some of the metrics they're after. Employees want to be safe. Customers want their employee, people they're sourcing from to have employees that are well-protected and safe. And shareholders, for multiple reasons, also want employees to be safe. So there are some metrics that are across all of the, the stakeholder groups and uh-huh. all of the, the three Vs, as I like to refer to them. But there are some that are quite unique to each group. So if we look at the employee value proposition one, some organizations are fortunate enough that their brand will attract employees. Right. A lot of consumer brands, stuff like that. Yeah, correct. Stuff so, we love. Yeah. So the, the big consumer brands, you'd even see um, some of the financial organizations, uh-huh. their brand is strong, their national identities. Uh-huh. So their brands attract organization, attract their employees. IT, there's some organizations, IT is the same that are brand names synonymous with society. So, but other organizations, their company name is not big enough, broad enough to actually attract. Doesn't have the same prestige or something. Doesn't have that impact. Or even automotive brands, some automotive brands have some prestige to it. So what I say to people is all organizations have this challenge of attracting. Some have a natural pull to attract talent. Some can't attract So, but what really separates organizations is when employees are in the business and what retains your employees is your culture. Uh So your culture 
from an employee value proposition retains your employees or the flip of that, it actually causes your employees to leave your organization for whatever that may be in terms of their expected behaviors. So how does it do that though, DB? So if I'm in a company, you know, I'm working there, what impact is the culture having on me that would make me want to leave or make me want to stay? Yeah, it's a great question. So, and this is where we're getting into some of the behavior aspects of culture now. Hmm. So if I'm working in an organization that is having, for example, an environment that encourages me to be true to myself, allows me to be curious, caring, creative, growing, versus an environment that says, do what I'm told to do. Don't mm-hmm. rock the boat. Mm-hmm. Stay safe. Unplug your brain. Yeah. Unplug your brain when you walk in the door. Basically, everything about you, leave behind at the door. Mm. Or an organization that is, to get right down, dog eat dog. It's mm-hmm. who can climb to the top Delicious. of the mountain. Yeah. And you have to stay on top. I remember we were fortunate enough a few years ago to have a speaker on of our clients. And he talked about this organization where there was a silver bullet with your name on it when you joined the organization. One day. One day. And your <laughs> challenge was to have someone between you and the silver bullet. And that message in itself gives you a really good impression of what the culture is like did, in that organization. Did they literally say that? They literally said that in the conference. You're joking. Yeah. Wow. So it was the CEO. He was a very... I mean, he went about changing that and changing that environment, which is quite impressive. So that employee value proposition is a key component of an outcome. Uh So it's one of the key outcomes for me of culture. If I move on to the customer value proposition metric, the customers, it's interesting. The phenomenon with culture is how you operate internally in those expectations. And don't laugh at this, Dom. I talk about the rippling effect of our culture. Uh And the, the culture actually ripples out to the customer. So how your employees are behaving internally will be how they, in many occasions, actually treat their customers. So if internally they have to seek approval before they make decisions or run things by someone else before they make a decision, they're likely to uh. say to the customer, oh, sorry, I can't do that, or I have to wait, uh. or our policy. Our policy is, our, our policy is. Yeah, which... Anyone who's on a, in the end of a, somebody says, well, let me check with somebody. Your most immediate reaction is, can I talk to the somebody? Yeah, that's right. And it's bad for the employees and it's bad for the customer experience because people do want to have a great day. That's one of the fundamental beliefs that I have is that uh-huh. everybody wants to have a great day and people will do their best if they're given the resources and opportunity to do their best. Uh-huh. So we experience the culture of our organization with our customers, both in a positive light or a less than positive light. And so in that example, it's basically someone who feels they're going to step on landmines if they make a decision on their own. So instead, I'm, I'm going to check. And then as a customer, I'm feeling that, right? Because it's like, well, yeah. no one can just give me a straight answer here. I go yeah. around in circles. This is the fourth time I've called or something like that. Correct. Yeah. And how come I'm not getting the response yet? Mm. And you've obviously got, in our language, you've got the more task-sided view of the dealing with the customer as well, which is, I can help you with what you need and this is what you need. And I'm going to write this up and send this to you now. And no, you don't actually need that. What you need is this. Mm. So the internal culture is more driven and that driven is responded to the customer Mm. rather than having the lens of I'm going to be curious with the customer and listen. And one of the words I'll probably repeatedly use today is curious. Mm. My word for 2018 is curious. (laughs) And how can we be truly curious? And we'll talk a little bit more about that as the podcast goes on. All right, fantastic. And then the last value 
bucket that you mentioned was around shareholder value. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Yeah, great. So there's got to be, we're in all organizations are in business for their shareholders. Now, some of those organizations are commercial uh-huh. and some of those organizations are non-commercial and they have a more of a society broker to them. So like government entities and government organizations, defense forces, hospitals, uh-huh. but they still have uh, shareholders being the constituents or their members. Um, stakeholders, they stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And they want services that are of a high standard. So they want to know that things are going to be consistent, reputable. They're not going to do things that go against the broader societal values. We're not going to do things that effectively cheat people or take people down a path where they don't want to be. And we're going to be open and honest with people. Mm. So shareholders are expecting that or the constituents are expecting that. And then you've got the commercial side of life. And what we know, and we got very good data now that organizations that allow people and their employees to be true to themselves, be creative, make that difference, collaborate, share, support, will generate better financial returns for organizations. So we know that revenue line will be higher, net profit will be higher, customer retention will be improved. And then you get the added flow on benefits all the way through the metrics of safety. I have one client uh, we're working with at the moment. They're a self-insurer and they've been working on their culture. And part of the self-insurance is you're audited and you're reviewed. Right. And as a result of uh, working on the impact leaders are having and their culture and creating that change is their review process has now been extended from three years to five years. Which and, must be a cost saving. And too. that is a massive cost saving to those mm. guys. So there's a lot of flow on benefits, dare I say, that ripple as a result of getting your culture to understand what your shareholders need and flow on. So I often start when I talk with clients around when people say, what is culture? I often start back with, we know it's the values, the norms, the expectations, but what really is culture is ensuring that we're delivering those value propositions to our shareholders, customers, and employees. Well, it's interesting because I, I get a lot of phone calls and so on from people who want to work on their culture. And sometimes you ask them, well, what, what do you mean? What do you actually want from that? And I think people know it's something we should be caring about or doing something about, but they're not always clear on why. Why does it actually matter? And so I, I really like that model of the three Vs. That is the why, right, of culture. It is the why, yeah. It's uh, who are we doing it for? Mm. It's not just to feel good, right? I mean, there's actually something that comes out of it. We're more effective as a result. Correct. Our effectiveness is better and we're delivering a promise to those groups, the employees, the customers, and the shareholders. And by delivering that promise, it becomes self-sustaining. And what I see now over time, organizations that work on their culture and get it to a point where it's more constructive than defensive, they are self-sustaining and they don't have to work as hard. It is a lot of hard work to get to constructive, which we'll talk about when we get into the causal factors. So before we get there, you you mentioned constructive cultures and defensive cultures. So what kind of cultures are there if we're going to kind of break it down? Yeah. So let's just, we'll talk about culture from an organizational context rather than a societal context. Yeah. Because there is societal culture and there's subcultures within cultures. But in an organizational context, when we talk about organizational culture, And to refresh the definition, the technical definition we talk about is the shared beliefs, norms, and expectations that govern how we approach our work and interact with each other, which is a mouthful. It's a lot to say. So how do I break that down really simply? It's 
how we motivate people to do stuff. Uh-huh. It's as an organization, what are our people motivated to do? How are they expected to behave? I often say, what are the expectations to thrive or survive within the organization? If you're in that cutthroat organization, <laughs> yes. the silver bullet. Yeah, it's survive. Yep. It is to survive. And, with, and so that is put someone else in front of you to take the bullet. Potentially. Yep. Or hide. <laughs> or it, hide. It might be to hide if we went to our passive language. So it's really around this behavioral piece. Now, the thing about culture, before I describe the how we describe it in terms of clusters, is culture is visible, but it's quite invisible. Tell me more. So, so let me explain what I mean by that. You can see culture when you walk into an organization uh-huh. and you don't need to be told what it is. So, do you have an example? So of it's both visible and invisible. Uh-huh. So what happens with a new starter and particularly someone new to the organization, they'll learn very quickly, if you like, the rules of the game. How do we need to play within this organization? But no one's actually probably going to tell them the rules and how to, how to play within the organization. Uh. So it's quite visible and transparent, but yet it's invisible because it's not written in a book. Right. And there's no manual that says, to fit in and thrive in this organization, this is what you need to do. There are the values on the wall. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's the employee handbook, there's, but... Yeah. Which will have stated values. And I often joke with some clients. I say, I see that you went to the Google School of Employee Values because <laughs> um, they all look very similar. They'll have honesty, ethical, trust. Integrity. Integrity. Transparency, teamwork. teamwork, collaboration. But the challenge is how do they live them? Right. What really comes to life? Yeah. And the good example I can give you is um, a very simple example. And I'll give you a one work, one non-work. Is a, a, work, a non-work one is when you join, for all the coffee drinkers out there, and I apologize to the non-coffee drinkers, and I also apologize to the cafes in and around Australia, is very quickly if you're a coffee drinker, People will understand if you're a coffee drinker and you'll be directed to which cafe to go get to your coffee. Now, it's not uh-huh. written anywhere, uh-huh. but it's the norm is we go get our coffee here. Uh, if you're a really place good- around the corner. Or yeah. Yep. If you like your coffee, you should go here. A non-work, that's the non-work. Okay. And so what would the work example be then? An example of work would be if I need to get something done- outside of normal channels. So I've got an order that I want to get through the system and I need to get this done. Uh-huh. But I may not need to have time to go through the purchasing ordering system or the process of the purchasing ordering system. Someone will know someone who knows someone uh-huh. who can help you process that order, not necessarily with the process of the ordering system. Right. But it won't be written down that if you want to get the purchase order done today, Go talk to Dominic mm-hmm. because Dominic can put it through I the can system. Pull some strings for you. He can put it through the system, but it's not written down anywhere. Okay, so these are the unwritten rules. So they're not written down anywhere, but it's something people learn as they enter the organization. Correct. Correct. Okay, so what's behind those rules, though? How how are we learning them? What types are there? Well, it's a good question. And what's behind the the unwritten rules is where we delve into the behaviors of culture. It's a great question. So what's behind them? And if we look at our world, and for those who haven't seen how we measure in terms of individuals, teams, or organizations, we use this thing called the circumplex. Mm -hmm. And a very brief introduction to the circumplex, it is 
a clock representation of styles of behaviors that are showing our needs towards satisfaction or security, as well as balancing our orientations towards task or people. And for those who would like to know more, I'd get them to jump onto the website. Yeah, so on on the website for this podcast episode, we'll have a full description and picture of the circumplex and everything for people for people to reference there if you're there already. Yeah, fantastic. So when we deal down to the next level, if I if I look at the, my motivation in my organisation is that I want to have security through people. Okay. So we refer to that as the passive defensive cluster. Mm-hmm. Now that passive defensive cluster has four styles to it. It has approval, conventional, dependent, and avoidance. Okay. Now, if I was to summarize that, and we'll talk at a cluster level today so we can keep moving. At a cluster level, I would summarize that as we have a desire to fit in, a desire to go along with others, be accepted by others, a desire to wait, an expectation to follow, an expectation to follow rules or follow directions. And the last one I'd throw in there would be comply. If I was to summarize that, the expectation we would have as an employee would be to be safe. Now, that on its... When you say safe, you mean keeping myself safe, not as in like safety. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, keep myself safe. If avoidance, which was one of those styles, was the dominant one, I'd almost say keep myself invisible. Mm. Yeah, don't raise issues. And because you said security through people, so it's around. I, I don't want to like upset anyone or correct cause a cause a fuss or. Yep, correct. So I want the world to be. If it's a more of an approval orientation, I want we go along with everybody. We don't challenge. We're trying to avoid conflict, particularly if I get down to the avoidance areas. Conventional is an interesting one for me as a style because an organization culturally that's high in that style is really bound by keeping everything the same. Mm. We have rules, policies, practices, and It's procedures. always been that way. It's always been that way. And we need to, if I bring it to society level briefly, we need an element of rules. There's nothing wrong with rules. Rules actually help us. With no rules, we'd be in a lot of trouble. What I say to organizations, though, is do you challenge and question the rules? Oh. And what's the process for challenging and questioning the rules that you have in place? And is it more because it's about security through people? So is it saying, well, I can't get in trouble because I was just following the rule? Correct. Right? I can point to a rule at all times. That's the, we talked earlier about the calling the help desk, or whatever, and mm. I said, our policy, our policy. Yep. It's the same thing, right? Yeah, it is. It's the security through people nature. And we refer that as the passive defensive cluster. Okay. So if there's security through people, what, what else is there? Well, we may as well follow the theme of security. And uh, we have security through task. So we refer to this as the aggressive defensive cluster and security through task has the four styles starting uh, the most security orientated, which would be oppositional, then power, then competitive, and then perfectionistic. Now, to summarize that as a cluster, whereas I said passive defensive is around being safe, Mm -hmm. I would summarize the aggressive defensive cluster as standing out. Okay. So rather than being safe, I'd really say it's more about standing out and breaking it down into some specifics. I'd say it's about being in control. Uh-huh. Yep. Looking like you are in control. You know what's going on. To that end, you're on top of all the details. I stay in touch with everything. I'm also critical. 
So I'm going to point out flaws. And the way we move forward in this organization is I'm seen to be pointing out flaws, being critical, not sharing information, keeping information to myself. The other thing that's uh, typical for this is make no mistakes. Uh-huh. And in some organizations, it's pre- relatively prevalent today. It's probably the mindset of win at all cost. Uh-huh. For me, I have to stand out in today's world. And so you talked about that as being security through task. So what's the security in, in doing those things? I'm looking good because I'm getting the job done. Yeah. Right. So I'm protecting my, rather than protecting myself through the people and the rules and fitting in, I've now protected myself and I'm surviving because I am making the, I'm performing in inverted commas. So what, why the inverted commas? Because that sounds like a good thing if you're performing. Uh, the challenge I would say is for an organization that's high and aggressive, they will probably succeed today but and they might succeed tomorrow. In fact, they might even succeed next month. But what happens next year? And let's elongate those timeframes to an organization. If you look in society today, there's some organizations that have probably lived in that aggressive tone, uh-huh. right? Stand out be in control, limit information sharing, make no mistakes, win at all costs. We're incentivized by winning. And all of a sudden, the values and norms of what's acceptable become way off being compared to societal values. And the organization then cops backlash from employees, customers, and shareholders. The other thing about that aggressive defensive cluster is if organizations live there, it's quite stressful for the employees. They're probably going to have low work-life balance. They feel I need to work long, hard hours. They're always going to be watching their back. So the stress levels are going to be through the roof. The silver bullet. The silver bullet is going to come and get me. Yeah, exactly. So, And it's an environment where you're always questioning whether or not you're going to be good enough. Uh, All right. But I've got to be good enough to win. So it's that burnout and so on. And that really links back to those three Vs you talked about at the start. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think if we take the position that everything links to those employee, customer, and shareholder value, will be in a great place. Fantastic. And so if there's security through people and security through tasks, you also talked about constructive. What's that? Yeah. So constructive styles is the satisfaction. So what we now do is we actually talk about the balance of satisfaction through both task and people. So we're now working to how do we ensure, and what I like to say is that how can we bring the best out in people? so that everybody can be their best every day. As you know, we've got our conference coming up, That's Culture, and uh, I have a few taglines in front of That's Culture, but the- uh, Registrations are open now. Registrations are open. The one I'm using uh, at the moment is it brings the best out in people. Right. That's what culture is. So if I talk about constructive, it does have that mode to it of collaboration, cooperation, individual development and growth. So we have an organization that expects people to teach, mentor, grow others. There is also an expectation to grow and develop yourself. Be curious, understand what differences you can make and where you can grow and how you can be different and to make a difference. We've got to hit that task side, which is all around achieving our goals and setting our goals. The key thing is that the goals are motivating. The goals aren't these unattainable stretch goals often, and I come, as you know, Dom, from more of an operational background and we out there is the the BHAGs in terms of the HAGs and the BHAGs, which are 
stand for hairy ass goals and then big hairy ass goals. Mm-hmm. So, but and they're fine, but are they actually intrinsically motivating? And we know through the work we do that if you stretch somebody to a point with a goal that is no, they think they can't do it, their level of motivation will drop. So they won't actually. I'll think, well, what's the point? And it becomes more perfectionistic, yeah, more right. task orientated. Which makes sense. So it's interesting you said that about, you know, we've got to get stuff done as well because, you know, I saw an article on LinkedIn the other day where it was saying like, you know, you've got a good culture when people are laughing kind of thing. And I thought to myself, maybe, but we've got to be getting stuff done as well, right? So it's not just about the laughs, but it's also about the task. 100%. It's important to enjoy, all right? Mm. So, and part of that self-actualizing piece, and we talk about, which is the style most orientated to satisfaction is to enjoy and have fun. But you enjoy and have fun, and the question becomes, how do you do that? Well, do what you like to do is the first thing mm. we'd say. But then in an organizational context, make a difference. The key, I would say, and we'll get into causal factors, but that difference has got to be meaningful. It's got to be meaningful for the individual, the team, and the organization. And then grow and develop people. And one of our colleagues often says to me, and he's 100% correct, that even... Uh, Prisons have foosball tables and ping pong tables and Mm -hmm. billiard tables. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the layout of the office and the the slide in the reception area or the bean bags. They have a very transient short-term impact. Ultimately, they don't matter if you're getting the silver bullet. They do not matter (laughs) if the silver bullet is behind you. And you see it. The challenge when you work on culture is you want a culture that's universal for all employees in the organization. Uh. And if you truly believe that people want to bring their best every day, so the question becomes, how do I allow people to be the best every day? Do I expect them to be safe? Do I expect them to stand out? Or do I expect them to achieve with support and care and consideration from everyone in the organization? And if you asked anybody, it would be the latter. I bring the best out of people by helping them achieve with support. Fantastic. and. Can those different cultural styles, can they ever be a blend of all of the above? Oh, organizations will have a little bit of uh, everything, but you want more of the constructive is what I would say. And often I, and we work with the same measures with leaders and culture. So culturally, you might have a little bit in the defensive areas, um, more security orientated, but as long as you've got more in the satisfaction orientated, you'll be more sustainable and more effective than not. I often say is every now and again, you might go camping somewhere, but you want to live in the constructive zone. That's where you want to spend most of your time. So think of it as a a measure of where we spend our time and energy. Spend our time and energy being curious, caring, collaborating, making a difference and bringing your best self to work. Fantastic. Thanks for that, DB. What we'll do is over the next few episodes, we've got five episodes in the series and we'll break down the causes of culture. So how does it actually form? As a really brief snapshot right now, DB, can you just give us a really quick overview and then we'll uh, jump into those episodes next? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll jump forward into uh, the causal factors and the key causal factors we'll talk about today are uh, what we refer to as mission and philosophy, which is how clear is our purpose for our organization and our orientation towards our customers. Uh, In the same episode, we'll actually talk about structures, which I refer to as decision-making in the organization. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the episode following Dom, we've lined up to talk about structures and systems, Yep. which is more around some HR policies and practices and okay. goal setting systems. Then we'll talk about job design for a little bit and technology in the, the next episode. 
And the last episode, we'll focus our attention on the role leaders play in culture. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to doing those episodes with you, DB. Likewise, Dom. You've got me here now. Yeah, that's right. I've got you here. So if I can summarize, I think some of the points I took out of this conversation was around those three Vs particularly. So the employee value, the customer value, and the shareholder value. And that's really why we do this culture stuff is it has to add value at the end of the day. And then there were actually three types of cultures as well, and maybe a mix of them. And that was security through people, or as you called it, passive defensive, security through task, or aggressive defensive, and then the constructive one, which is about satisfaction. On the money. Perfect. Fantastic. Sounds like my job's done. Well done then. All right. Thanks for your time today, DB. Thanks, Dominic. It's great to be here on Culture Bites. today's episode of Culture Bites, we talked about the How Culture Works model. The How Culture Works model is from the Organizational Culture Inventory and Organizational Effectiveness Inventory. The feedback report for these surveys and other culture change resources are copyrighted by Human Synergistics International. Research and development by Robert A. Cook and J. Clayton Lafferty. All rights reserved. Please contact us if you would like to review any of these resources for organizational change and development.